It's good to be here. I, I've not been with you guys in several years. Last time I was here, there wasn't a pandemic, um, so that's different. And you're at the high school. But it's really good to be here, and I'm grateful. Like Charles said, we've been friends for several years now. And it was like one of these weird things where we were in Mexico City planning a church, and people were like, well, you need to... I, I was asking people, how do I, like, big city, like, how do I do this? And, and so some random guy from Minnesota told me to... to reach out to Charles, so I wrote him an email, and he responded, and then I showed up on a Sunday, and we started talking, and then we just haven't stopped talking since then. And so it's been a blessing, and as we've, my family and I have moved all over the place, and I think there's a picture of my family somewhere, of my children and my wife. Uh, no, that's not them. Uh, here they come. It better be good. No, almost. They're, they're coming into focus slowly. Anyways, they'll be there at some point. Uh, my wife and my, no, that's not them either. Uh, anyway, as we've, as, we, as we've navigated sort of moving from Mexico into Houston and, and then pandemic, you know, it's been really great to be able to count on the friendship of Charles and, and it's been awesome. And so I'm really honored to be here with you guys today. And I'm gonna be talking out of Genesis, the story, the story of Sarah and Abraham a little bit. And so if you'll bear with me, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go get started. God, you're good, exceedingly good, and we thank you. We thank you for your word, which is alive and applicable to our lives today, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, and how through his life and death and resurrection, your word takes its proper perspective in our lives. And Holy Spirit, we recognize you're here that you're with us, that you're visiting, and we ask that you speak to us. Bring us words of comfort or conviction where they're needed. And we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Anyways, still no family. Close. No, still no. Ah, let me know when they show up, and then I'll point them out. No, okay. So in, I, I want to look here. We're going to be in Genesis 18, and, and I'm going to read, and then we'll get started. And so just to set a little bit of the context for where we're at, Abraham, we all know, sort of the father of everything, all of the faith and, and the, the promises that God gave him and fulfilled to him, and at some point, he promises him descendants that he doesn't have. And he's promised this, and it's part of the plan, and he's seen God be faithful in everything else he's promised, and this is the thing that is not happening for them. And so his wife decides that she is going to help the cause and, and offers up her, her maid, her servant, her, her, yeah, her employee to Abraham and said, okay, there will be descendants that are yours and it's going to happen this way because I can't give it to you. And they, they have a kid, the maid and Abraham. And, and God comes back and promises Abraham again, no, no, you're going to have a, a, a child and it's going to be you and Sarah's. And Abraham thinks it's ridiculous, because at this point, I'm super old, it's not happened, it's not going to happen, but God promises it. And at this point, it still hasn't happened, and we come in chapter 18, and, and the Lord visits Abraham again, which is sort of the patterns of his life, where he gets a visitation from God in some form, and in this case, there's three men that walk, and that's the visitation. And he, he speaks again, and he says this, he says in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 9, he says, they asked, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, right here in the tent. 
Then one of the men said, I will definitely return to you about this time next year. Then your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door before him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were both very old. And I'm like super old. Uh, and Sarah was no longer menstruating. She was no longer able to have kids. Like that ship had sailed. This is not going to happen. And so she laughed. She just responded like, the, 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 like this is ridiculous. This is not going to happen. She's like, I am no longer able to have children and my husband's old. So I can't. And he's old. This is not going to work. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, me give birth at my age? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? When I return to you about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah lied and said he didn't laugh because she was frightened. But he said, no, you laughed. What, what I love about this, and it's a little bit about what Charles talked about last week, about the sort of that first sin of the knowledge of good and evil and then covering like with the shame. It's like it's all over Sarah here. Like, I didn't laugh. Nope, covering it up. Nope, didn't laugh. I didn't do that. But even in her response, we see the weight of the expectations that have been placed on her culturally, in her family, and the one she's placed on herself, and how they are absolutely crushing to her. So if we think about this contextually, Sarah, as a woman in this cultural concept, like the, the only thing that will give her a place of honor and value is if she can produce an heir, a son, not even a daughter, if you can produce a son. And she's unable to do this. And so she has lived her whole life and she's doing everything she can. And Abraham is the one that gets the visitations from God. And Abraham's the one that it's going to be his nation. And Abraham, 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 Abraham. And there she is. And she's saying, the only thing I can do to have any sort of value is to give him a son, and I can't do it. And it doesn't matter what Abraham says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. She knows that she can't do it. So much so that she says, I will find a way to produce an heir, even if it costs me my own dignity. It's painful. It's everything against what I want to do. And gives her servant to Abraham. It's amazing what we will do when we are overwhelmed by what we are not. And when we are overwhelmed about the value that has been stripped by us, stripped from us by those around us and by ourselves, the expectations of the world, the expectations we have ourselves, it is amazing what we will do and how we will convince ourselves of our actions when our value has been stripped from us and we're finding a way to have any sort of significance in the world. And Sarah's in that place. And, and we read this, and, and I'm always sort of overcome by the fact that in, in, in the intrinsic nature of the way God sees his creation, there is nothing wrong with her. Nothing. She is God's kid. That's enough. She is the creation of the living God, the creator himself, that's enough. However, none of that will make sense because everything around her says she's not enough. It's that, that lie that happens and the reason we cover up our nakedness is because we have been convinced that somehow 
There is a value beyond who we are that is bigger than anything. Oftentimes, it's that cultural pressure. Oftentimes, it is. And, 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 and the great thing about the world we live in is that it, we don't have to go out and find the pressure. It finds us. And when I say great, I mean horrible. I mean, just think about how often we are confronted with what we are not just when we pick up the phone. And now it's no longer a comparison against my neighbor. It's the comparison against sort of like the five neighbors around me that aren't even around me. They're like all over the world. And I make a composite figure with the best qualities of all those people and say, I just don't measure up. And that's Sarah. I just don't measure up. And she did the thing that was the hardest thing to do, which was she says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to give Abraham a son because my whole goal in life is to give him a son. So I'm going to give him from this angle. And immediately when, when, when she does that, she, she's, she's upset. And she should be. Because her servant now is dishonoring her. Her servant now disrespects her. And she is reminded of what she's not. She's reminded that in the grand scheme of life, the only thing I need to do is to provide a son, and I can't provide anyone. And here is my servant, who in the hierarchy of life is way below me, and they're able to give my husband what I cannot. There's a kindness of God in this that I see in that Sarah doesn't need the any of this for the affirmation of who she is. And actually, God doesn't need Sarah to fulfill the promise. And Abraham even asked God, says, hey, just take Ishmael, just take this other son. Like, he is from me anyways, and Sarah's really, in culturally, not that big of a deal. I mean, she's great. I, I've enjoyed company with her. We've enjoyed life, but... It's me, right? This is about me. You said, I'll be the father. It's not like the father and mother. It's like, the this is how this works. And God says, no, 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 no. I, yeah, great, you guys did it all on your own. Good job. Way to figure that out. It's going to cause a lot of problems. <laughs> Every time humans try to figure out how to help God out, he's like, please, just leave it alone. Like, why? At, at least that's what I th see when some of those crossbreeds of dogs, I'm like, Why? Like, seriously. Anyways, that's an aside. It's my own stuff. But God in his kindness looks at Sarah and says, no, you don't need this to have value. But I'm going to give it to you because I value you. There's such a kindness in the heart of God and saying, this is nothing to do with who you are as my creation but you are burdened and saddled by the expectations you have for yourself and the disappointments of life in these places. And I, as a gift, am going to give you this life. I'm going to give you a value in a way that you can understand. You see, there's a way that the master looks and sees things that nobody else can. I remember my son in Mexico City where we've done all the sports. And mostly, I mean... It's partly because 
because he gets bored or my daughter gets bored and I'm like, yeah, I'm bored too. Let's, let's switch it up. Like, I don't want to go to practice anymore. But he did Taekwondo and, and it, was, it was great. Like, it was, he was doing great, but it was also a scam. Like, all youth sports seem to be a scam. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's not a judgment against, like, if you're doing youth sports, you have value. I just, I'm struggling with your business model. But, you know, they, they, they do these, we go and they do all of the exercises, and they do all the training, and then, and then there's belt ceremonies. And we're like, okay, he's going to finally get it. And you have to buy the belt. And, and it's like every time you have to buy another belt, and it's like every, every three to six months it's another exam, and they're like, hey, he's really advancing. We're going we're gonna to give him another, we're going to give him another exam. It's like, and you're like, well, great. And then you're like, wait, no, no, this is ridiculous. This, this belt is not even a different color. It just has like, like a small color on the same color. Like, this is ridiculous. And so we're in the exam, and there's all these parents there, and they're taking pictures, and and everybody, and I'm watching all the kids, and I'm watching my son, and he seems distracted, and I'm just going, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Like, I just spent, we spent how much for him to be told, good luck, try again next time? I was getting frustrated. I was like, you know, because I'm doing the calculations. Like, we, like this, is the, this is how much my hour costs, so this is how many hours I've given to this, and this is what I've done, and... And, and at the end, I'm waiting to be disappointed, and they're going through, and they're, and they're saying, and there was one student who did so well that we're going to give them a special honor of, like, still no kids. Okay, a special honor, I was going to point him out, but special honor of, you know, we're going to jump a belt for him. And I was like, oh, those parents are, man, they're jerks. They're just jerks. Like, they probably don't even, like, they're so lucky. Like, their kid is saving them money and bringing honor to the family, and he's probably going to be an Olympian. I was really angry, because I'm like, oh, and there, there's my kid, and he's doing whatever. And they go through all the things, and then they, they say, okay, and, the, and the, the one who is like the star of this exam, and they call out my son's name. And I almost stood up and said, are you kidding me? Because I had like this whole plan to like talk about the seriousness of the moment and how we don't take, we take, advan we don't, we take advantage of every opportunity and that we take the, and here you are, I'm thinking he did horrible, but through the eyes of a master, they saw something different. They saw value where I didn't. They saw something that I could not see. And I see the heart of God as the creator looking at his creation in Sarah and saying, you cannot see and nobody else can see all that I see in you. You've been stripped of your dignity. You've been filled with shame. You lost your value. You've lost a purpose of your life. You have been discarded by yourself and society. You've watched as you supported and played the good role you were called culturally to play to support your husband as he conquers everything and expands his territories and builds his fame, and, and you've lost it all. And I see the kindness of God that says, no, you haven't. And knowing that based on the pressures that she faced, there was no way that she could disconnect her value from a child. It was going to be impossible for her to disconnect her intrinsic value from bearing a son for her husband.
and the kindness of God to say, I will give you this, not because you need it, but because I see you as an acknowledgement of the value you have, of the acknowledgement of who you are as my child, of the acknowledgement of all the pain that you have suffered and all the joy I desire for you. I give it to you. See, I think the heart of God is very different than we'd like to imagine it. I grew up in a time where it was a pretty simple faith. If you do these things, you'll get these results. It just, that's how things worked. If you are good, good things will happen. If you are bad, bad things will happen. And if bad things happen, it's because secretly you're doing bad stuff. It was like the running joke with my youth group. Like, you know, a kid would come in and have like a, like a sprained ankle and we're like, I wonder what he did. And it, like usually probably something really perverted if they broke a leg. It's like, oh yeah, they're secret sin. But the reality is, as we look through Scripture, we see the kindness of God poured out over his creation in small and big ways that says the value you have is not on what you do or what you've produced. It's in that you are mine and I am yours. But in the kindness, there's also gifts of recognition that in the society that you live in, in the places that you are at, that there are other things that burden and I'd like to ease the burden. Sarah, I'd like to carry this with you. This is not yours alone. There is something that compels me towards kindness. As I think about this story, it reminds me so much of the way Jesus interacted with people. You know, Jesus, in his interactions with people, was... It's incredibly controversial how kind he was to the, 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 the abject sort of rejected of society. He, he loved them in such a way that was almost gross to the people around him. Like you could see it in their faces. Like I, I think of Zacchaeus, that's always a story that comes to mind where you know, there's this little guy in a tree, and he's corrupt as corrupt can be. You know, he's collecting taxes, and he, and he gives the tax money that he collects to the people that are supposed to get it, and then anything that he can get on top of it is his, and so he just, he's just fleecing people. And Jesus not only acknowledges his existence by calling him by name, but he invites himself to the intimacy of a meal in his home. And everybody else has to be going, are you kidding me? This guy has zero value to our society, to sort of the moral codes that we live by. Like, why don't you take this guy who's like super great? He's always doing the church stuff. It's like, no, I'm going to have a meal in this guy's home. What I love about it is just in the recognition of the existence of Zacchaeus and an intimacy and time with him, Zacchaeus changes everything in his life that is foreign from who he is. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm done harming other people for my own good. I am done producing wealth only for, the, only for my ability to project my importance. I am done with the pursuit 
of the performance in this area that will give me personal recognition and do nothing for anyone else. I am done with all this. What Zacchaeus does in relationship with Jesus is he says, I'm taking off all the things that I've used to cover my nakedness. I remove all these things that hide from who I am authentically. What I love about this story, though, is that Zacchaeus doesn't stop doing his job. He keeps doing it and doing it really well. So much so that he funds the church for, for, for years to come. Jesus didn't say your value is that you don't do anything that you're good at because it's a corrupt system. He says, no, the value is that you don't tie what you do in that corrupt system to the value of who you are. That you live with a purpose that's different while being incredibly effective at what you do, disconnected from the value you have. Throughout Scripture, we see the kindness of God as he sees people and he calls them by name. As he speaks life to them in places of death, as he speaks value to them in places where they had none, as he gifts people things that that he knows they don't need to be more valuable, but that he knows will indicate to them their value. We live in an ultra-competitive world. Most of the competition that we live now is with ourselves, if we're honest. And by that, I mean like it's all the things in our head that we say about ourselves and about others. Most of our competition is virtual. It's what I think based on what I see and what I experience. And so much of our value is removed from who the master says we are. It is based on the constructs that a society has placed on us or that we have placed on ourselves. It is based on what we can do to achieve A, B, or C. And the kindness of God says that has nothing to do with your value. But here's some gifts. The more you know who you are, the different the more differently you'll live with those around you. The more you know that you are seen and called by name and recognized for who you are as a child of the living God, the easier it is to separate what I do and the success I have based on the cultural expectations from who I am and the value I have as a kid of the living God. The story of Sarah, the story of Zacchaeus remind me that I need to spend a little bit more time nurturing my understanding of the value I have as his kid. A little less time worried about how I haven't quite fit up or fulfilled the expectations of those around me or how I have not quite done everything that I feel like I should in comparison to the composite figure I have created from social media or from the world around me. And in doing that, and here's, 
Here's the beauty of it. When that happens, it frees me. It frees me from this like evil spirit of competition and hierarchy of like putting people in statuses and treating them based on what I can get from them. It removes that from me that allows me to see and love others the way God sees them. See, because as much as this is for us, it's just not about us. As much as God, Jesus' direct interaction with Zacchaeus was for Zacchaeus, it just wasn't about Zacchaeus. And when he understood it, it became a blessing for thousands and millions over generations. As we are able to sort of stand before our Creator naked and undashamed without the, the sort of the, the sins of the recognition of good and evil and my whole chaos that that creates in me and all I have to do to project something that maybe isn't even worth projecting. The more I engage with a God that is kind and loving and values me, the freer I am to do the same for those around me. If the people of God, those that follow Jesus, that say, yes, I'll follow you, if we would do that, the world would be transformed. If we don't, we apply this understanding we have of do good, good things happen, do bad, bad things happen to everyone around us. And we adopt the systems around us, put the name of Jesus on it, and project it out, which just makes us super judgy. Which, by the way, not cool. It's crazy fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, just be honest. You guys are all, probably all better than me. I, it's super fun to judge people. You know when people say, oh, I just, I'm like, like, I, like I'll sit in a cafe and I'll watch people. Like, we're judging people. I'm judging your shoes and your pants and your. I'm going to close with a story as the worship team comes up. I've been transformed so many times by visitations of God a little bit like Abraham had, which were through people. I love that it says God visited him and it says there was three men. I love that it's, it's, it's not, it, you know, it, it, yeah. I don't know that I want God to visit me and like, like show up. I, everywhere that happens in the Bible, people freak out. I don't need to have like a coronary because God showed up. I love it when he shows up through people. Several years ago in Mexico, we, our church did a, does a lot of, did and they continue to do a lot of work in human trafficking. And so one of the things we would do is every six weeks we go into one of the prostitution zones in Mexico City and throw a party. Like just a giant party. Like food and music and dancing and then we had, we would do nails and do hand massages and, and we'd pray with people and, and we would set out these giant tables and we would serve the prostitute and the pimp, the John, and the police that were there making sure that the, the pimp's area was protected. We'd serve them all. Because I think that's the Jesus thing. And there was a gentleman that like, was connected to me and he, he wanted to be a part of it. And so I met with him 
and we're coming in and and we spent all day and we went to the the safe house we have and then we went to the home for underage girls that are rescued out of human trafficking and then we went to the the, the small business incubator that we use for women that are want to leave uh, prostitution and build another life, and then we took them all over the place. And at the end of the day, he was very uncomfortable, and we talked about Jesus the whole time. Like, why do we do this, Jesus? Why do we do this, Jesus? Why do we do this, Jesus? And at the end, we're standing outside of the home for the girls that are underage girls that are rescued. And I just sort of felt this moment of conviction that I needed to say something to him. And so I, I paused, and we're waiting for his car to come up. And I thanked him. I said, I, I just need to thank you. And he said, why? I'm like, I, I want to thank you for not judging me. And he looked at me like super confused. And I say, you didn't judge me. You spent this whole day with me after you met me. And you didn't judge me, and I'm a Christian and a pastor. And he started to tear up, and he said, and he said, no, I need to thank you. I've never had an interaction. This is his, his, I've never had an interaction with a Christian where I didn't feel shame and not okay and just, just heaviness. He said, so I want to thank you for not judging me, for accepting me into this, to the work of your Jesus even though I'm a Buddhist, even though I'm gay, even though I'm far from your Jesus. You see, the heart and kindness of God looks beyond all of those things, and he says there's value. The pursuit of God for his creation is long and slow and unrelenting. The pursuit of God to give value, to remind people of who they are and whose they are, to take away all the things that we've used to cover up is unrelenting. And if we would partner with God, first by acknowledging whose we are, who we are, removing our understanding of value from all the other stuff and then choosing to look at others the same way, we'd see things we couldn't imagine. See freedom that doesn't exist, life that sprouts in places of darkness and death, ministries that look different than they've ever looked. We'd see the poor and the marginalized and the lost seen and valued and loved all around us. But in order to do that, we have to be a little bit less like Sarah. We have to be less focused on what we're not and more open to see ourselves the way he sees us. Let's worship.